Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We'll turn the remainder of our meeting over to our own, our brother Billy Skelton. Happy Father's Day. I have a bulletin board at work. And on the bulletin board, I keep things such as Father's Day cards from years past. And at uh, each year, at least once a year, I have to look at them because I move offices. So I have to take everything down and put it back up. But I smile when I look at these uh, things. They sometimes have, well, they always have something pre-printed, such as World's Greatest Dad. And I have thought about that, <clears throat> World's Greatest Dad. They made those uh, back here in the Sunday school uh, years ago. Am I okay? All right. Okay. Okay, um, and I remember that when the kids came out, it says, world's greatest dad, the twins each gave me one. And then Elliot gave one to his dad, and I thought, well, wait a minute, shouldn't his say world's second greatest dad? Well, I mean, well, it's kind of implied, if I'm the greatest, there couldn't be another. But we kind of smile at those things and ponder what it would be to be the greatest father ever. So when we think on this Father's Day of greatest father ever, Let's see if I, oh, I got to do the power thing, right, Andy? All right. All right. Greatest father ever. Maybe this picture comes to mind. Does anyone know who that is? Right. Fathers knows best. Robert Young as Jim Anderson. Now it's a series that was on before my era, but I remember hearing the name of the show. Father knows best. Father was held in high esteem at that time. This is more in my era. Okay, does anyone know who that is? Tom Bosley, what was his show was he in? Happy Days, he was the father in the 50s, had all the answers, right? Um, this one's a non-example. That's after my time, but that's uh, Homer Simpson starring as Homer Simpson. And uh, I noticed that when they, as if you watched um, what Hollywood did with dads, a very disservice, didn't they? They continued to make the father the butt of jokes, a bumbling, self-centered fool who really is no contribution to the family whatsoever. But that's not what God's intention was. It's not the role of the father in the family. And as I began to think this um, Lord's Day of Father's Day, and I think of my heavenly father, I wonder did I offer anything special to my heavenly father on this Father's Day? Did I remember to thank the one who gave me life, welcomed me into his forever family, and has given me a hope of an eternal future with him? And we can go on and on. And if we were actually filling out a Father's Day card for a heavenly father, we would spend hours or more trying to pick out words and praises and thanks that would go into his card. And in fact, our thanks and appreciation should never end. And when you think of God's goodness, I read a, dic a dic dictionary uh, definition. I'll share it from Easton's Bible Dictionary about the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And it includes uh, a perfection of His character, which He exercises towards His creatures according to their various circumstances and relations. And our brother Bob was reading out of Psalm 145 about God's loving kindness and tender mercy. We think of verses in 1 John chapter 4 that speak of God is love. We viewed God's 
our Heavenly Father's goodness generally, we would say it's a benevolence. And as it's exercised with respect to the miseries of his creatures, it is mercy, pity, compassion. And in the case of impenitent sinners, it's long-suffering patience. As exercised in communicating favor on the unworthy, it is grace. Goodness and justice are two of the several aspects of one unchangeable, infinitely wise, and sovereign moral perfection. God is not sometimes merciful and sometimes just, but is eternally, infinitely just and merciful. God is infinitely and unchangeably good, we read in Zephaniah chapter 3. And his goodness is incomprehensible by the finite mind, according to Romans chapter 11. God's goodness appears in two things, giving and forgiving. So Father's Day as a holiday, and I didn't do the research on this. I was going to, but I did not. The, um, it should draw one closer to their father as they reflect on the characteristic that makes one father, one's father the world's greatest. And a close relation to our Heavenly Father can be seen in the Bible and a word that we uh, read only three times. It's a four-letter word, starts with an A. Does anyone want to guess? Abba, right? Abba, Father. Alt, intimate, close relation. So I want to look this morning at the three instances of Abba, Father. All right. I might have been letting it sit too long there, Andy. All right, let's see. Bing. So the first would be in Mark chapter 14. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to read starting at verse 32. You'll recall this is Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. <clears throat> and we read there these words. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he, and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. This was some heavy, heavy stuff. Sometimes I see this picture in books of perhaps what it might have looked like, but I think probably it was more falling to the ground. This is an artist's rendition. I know it's not the Lord, but that he fell to the ground in the garden. And sometimes we might be prone to think, if we think of the verse in John 12, where it says, Now my soul is troubled, and, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And we might think that, well, Jesus knew what he was here for. He knew why he came. God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, he tells Nicodemus, but that the world through him might be saved. He had it all under control, but it wasn't a slight thing to Jesus. It was a very heavy thing. 
And we see in Mark's account, as well as the rest of the Gospels, how he faced the whole ordeal. And sometimes we may be prone to forget that the real battle was waged here in the garden. He went to his father, to Abba, for comfort. There's where, there's where he poured his heart out. And the reason, perhaps, that he was so strong and brave the next day is that he had already gained the victory. And as, as always is the case, uh, we gain victory through prayer. You, perhaps you've heard it said that the real battles are fought in prayer closets and not on the battlefield. We're reminded by Paul that we wrestle not, it says, against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, the rulers of darkness. It's not a, a physical, but a spiritual battle that we're involved in. And there in Gethsemane, he won the victory. How? By surrendering. He surrendered to the will of God. And I can say this this morning to you, as long as you are fighting the will of God for your life, you're destined for defeat. Now, it may seem like a paradox, but you know how you're going to win and gain victory? Surrender, right? Seems strange. How do I win? I give up. But I'm surrendering to God's will. If I give up to God's will in that moment, I will have won. You conquer when you surrender to God's will. You come to the path of victory. And that's the point that Christ came to when he surrendered himself to the will of God. Father, he said, in verse number uh, 36, all things are possible for you. Take away this cup from me. Many times we might pray that, that, that prayer. I even caught myself doing it this morning. Father, we know that all things are possible. Touch now, heal now. Father, Lord, we know that all things are possible with you. So this is what I want you to do. But oh, how wise it would be to complete the prayer as the Lord did. Say, nevertheless, not what I will, but will you, what you will. If you have a, something in your life that needs victory, surrender it over to the Lord, and you'll experience real victory in your life. It's an illustration given about this. I wanted to share with you. It says, years ago, a minister was called to the home of a widow whose teenage daughter was the apple of her eye. She told the preacher that at age three, the girl had been very ill, and the doctors said she would die. The mother admitted that she had accused God of cruelty and had prayed that he spare her daughter. She told him she could never trust him again if he did not do as she asked. And God granted her request in spite of what the doctors had said. For the next 13 years, she was her mother's pride and joy. But then she began to associate with bad companions. At age 17, she got into real trouble and broke her mother's heart. The tragic end of the story was told to the minister by that weeping woman when he arrived at her home that day. My Janie is dead. She took her own life last night, and I found her in her room this morning. After several, several minutes of convulsive sobbing, she concluded, Oh, Pastor, how I wish God had taken her when she was three years old. How I wish I could have yielded to God's will and had not insisted on having my own way. It's a difficult thing 
We ask for things. We ask for them with pure motives. But the uh, application here is that when you ask, surrender to God's will. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Romans chapter 8, that's the next occurrence of that term, Abba. Romans chapter 8. We'll read from verses 12 to 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Living as a child of God means intimate, joyful relationship with God. It's not like the bondage and fear demonstrated by the law. We live in a different uh, relationship. A child of God can have a relationship with God so close that they may cry out, Abba, Father. Sometimes it may be easy to think of Jesus relating to the Father with his joyful confidence that we just read about in the book of Mark where he says to his father, Abba. But we may think that we're disqualified for that. We're, we're not in that same relationship, but we must remember that we that know the Lord Jesus Christ are considered in Christ. Don was talking about that this morning. Um, what does God see when he looks at me? Well, he sees my Savior first. I'm in Christ, so I have the privilege also of relating to the Father, even as Jesus did, because of I am an adopted Son. I am an adopted son. He says there in, in uh, verse number 16, over no, 15, uh, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, I read of adoption that in the Roman world, when Paul would have been writing this, in the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son was deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. All the same rights and privileges. And under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. And what a picture. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all its debts being canceled and nothing from his past counting against him anymore. We think about Paul's writing in chapter 5 and verse 17 of 2 Corinthians that as adopted sons, we're new creations. Therefore, if anyone, he writes, is in 
Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The last occurrence, oh, I forgot to put the, uh, oh, yeah, that was adopting, is in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and we'll read from the beginning of the chapter down to verse number 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has lifted forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Here we see God as the Father, as a liberating Father. We'll look a little bit at this section. He says in <clears throat> verse number four, but when the fullness of time had come. And the idea behind that phrase is that when the time was right, Jesus came uh, in the right time of God's redemptive plan. When the world was perfectly prepared uh, to receive the Messiah. I mentioned this morning about this passage, there are probably various things that you could say would be indicators of why it was the right time, why it was the appointed time. But one that um, probably the one that I feel strongest about is the prophecy of the uh, of Daniel. 483 years had passed since he prophesied, and that time was drawing to a close. Messiah would come. So we see that God in His timetable sometimes we lose sight of, but He does not. When the fullness of time was had come. And it says in verse number um, five, to redeem those who were under the law. This is what Jesus did. Because Jesus is God, he had the power and he had the resources to redeem us. Because Jesus is man, he has the right and the ability to redeem us. He came to purchase us out of the slave market. For, from our bondage to sin and the elements of the world, we have been redeemed. That, he says at the end of that verse, we might have the adoption as sons. You know, it would have been enough if Christ had died and rescued us out of the slave market. Our sins are forgiven. We're not going to have to pay the penalty for our sins. But God's work for us didn't end there. It says that we're then elevated to a place of sons and daughters by adoption. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Some have argued that while I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, and while there's truth to that, that we're all, all offspring of God, all created by God. Uh, Paul, in, um, when arguing in the Areopagus, he talked in Acts chapter 17, we're all the offspring of God, and that's true. 
But not every human being is a child of God in the sense of this close adoptive relationship. That's a different thing. As a matter of fact, if you think of it in that sense, the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees would, would have a little bit different weight, where he said, ye are of your father, the devil. So there are those who have this relationship with God, a closeness, adopted sons into God's family. But if you're ever baffled by the behavior of some, keep in mind, whose child are they? Oh, well, they're created by God, but who do they yield to? Who do they bow to? of their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. So sometimes you look at that and you could kind of start to understand why the evil uh, is being uh, acted out. And there's a sense when you think of this adoption um, that it seems it's totally a, a totally unnecessary blessing that God has given in the course of salvation. It's, it's a demonstration of his true love and deep love for us. You may be able to picture someone helping out, saving someone, rescuing them from certain death. I know my children just went through their lifeguard recertification. This is what they train. I know when I trained, Rebecca did the same thing. We train in case somebody is in need. We know what to do to save them from death, from drowning. However, if I rescued someone, I didn't then say, now come. I'm going to make you a part of my family. But that's what God did. God not only saved and rescued us out, he adopted us. He made us part of his family. Now, the thought there is that we receive, the, we receive the adoption of sons. We do not recover that adoption. And in this sense, we gain something in Jesus that's far greater than Adam ever had. Adam was never an adopted son of God in the way that believers are. So it would be mistaken for us to think of redemption as merely a restoration of what was lost in Adam. We're granted more in Jesus than Adam ever had. We can celebrate the sonship we have in Christ. He says there in verse number six, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And it's fitting that those who are in fact sons have the spirit of the son in their heart. That gives us both the right and the ability to cry out, Abba, to God our Father, even as Jesus did. Our sonship is based on who we are in Jesus, but there are distinctions between our sonship and that of Jesus. John chapter 3 says of Jesus that he was the only begotten of the Father, right? Only begotten Son. So Jesus, uh, his sonship uh, makes him a son, or that makes him a son by his essential nature is the same as that of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. And we're made children, not by our essential nature, but by a decree, a legal decree of God. It says in verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. What a beautiful progression. We start as being freed from the slave market of sin. And then we're brought into the family. We're made sons. And then they go one step further. He makes us heirs. An heir of God, it says, at the end of that verse, through Christ. Our release from slavery, our sonship, the spirit of Jesus in our hearts, and our status as heirs of God are all birthrights given to us in 
Christ Jesus. We receive them, as it says at the end of the verse, through Christ. These are some things that we should be living in and enjoying every day of our Christian life. Just as a closing or an inclusion on this Father's Day, as we think about the Heavenly Father, may we celebrate the one who comforts and the one who has uh, adopted us out of the slave market and liberates us from the slavery of sin. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again. Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, for the relationship that we have with you through Christ. We think of the uh, uh, words, Father, of the hymn, I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. Not e'en where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Father, it's simply because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that it was not a simple thing. We know that it was nothing that was taken lightly. And as we read the accounts of the gospel, Father, the time in the garden, the, the mockery of a trial before the Jewish leaders and before Pilate were the execution order was given that Jesus, it cost him his life to redeem us back to you. And Father, may we honor you this morning as we reflect on all that has been done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Father, we thank you that you, when the time, fullness of time was come, you sent forth your son. We thank you that you've demonstrated your own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. And so, Father, this morning, may it be our, our portion that we would rejoice in the relationship that we have, adoptive sons, adopted sons, Father, all the rights and privileges afforded in Christ Jesus. We praise you for these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.